Good morning. This is Chris McDaniel, and I am back with Renewing the Center. It's been a long break. Uh, actually, goodness, probably more than a year or so. Uh, early in the pandemic, uh, my wife and I launched the Renewing the Center podcast just as a way to keep our church tethered to the Bible and to some spiritual encouragement. And once the world started to wake back up and uh, programming and ministry and all the different things started to happen at Trinity, I decided to hit pause. And then a whole lot happened. Um, what I'm going to do today in this kind of introductory episode uh, to get us back in the swing of some rhythm here with Renewing the Center is tell you a little bit of that story and then uh, give you some foundational uh, things that the Lord uh, gave me in terms of living into some principles and some core commitments in my own life with God. So after the pandemic began to wane and our, our church here in Atlanta, Trinity started to wake back up, um, we got really busy. Um, I think the cumulative effect of a couple of years of crisis and chaos with everything related to the virus itself, but also just the racial reckoning and the political upheaval in the United States. Uh, all that took a, a pretty major toll on most of us probably who are listening to this, but I can say on a very personal level, took a toll on me. Um, I think uh, a part of my own story as, as a person now approaching 50 years old, I'm, I'm 47, I'll be 48 this fall. Uh, is a sense of uh, over-functioning, overdoing it, feeling like I'm responsible. And so the pandemic really probably was like a drug to me in many respects, especially as I look back in retrospect. I gave me um, a lot to do, <laughs> a lot of problems to try to solve. And uh, though we have an amazing team here at Trinity, there was something at play in my own heart that uh, kind of told me that I was all alone. Not true, but sometimes when we live into lies, uh, those lies are very compelling. They have a very, very powerful kind of gravitational pull in our lives. So what happened to me uh, August, um, a couple of years ago actually, is I hit a wall of burnout and went away from the church for four months. Um, thought I was going to quit, candidly. Um, there were times where I didn't quite know what I was going to do if I did if I did quit uh, my leadership here at Trinity, um, but I felt a very strong compulsion to to do so. Uh, I was out of gas, overwhelmed, and those those kinds of things sometimes, and you may be able to relate with this. Uh, sometimes that running out of gas uh, catches us off guard. It probably shouldn't. As I look back uh, to the time leading up to that burnout, I can see that there were uh, metaphorical red lights blinking on the dashboard of my life. Uh, parts of my body were hurting and out of line. Uh, my hand was numb. Uh, there were um, issues of, of chest tightness and heart racing, and I was just pushing on through, uh, trying to get to a better place and thinking, oh, you know, as soon as I can clear that hill, or that next obstacle, everything's going to be okay. I'll be able to rest. So I've been back at work for uh, now a year and a half. Um, came back in, in Advent a year, year and a half ago. And I'm thankful to say that in the midst of the burnout, that there was no uh, moral failure, no disqualifying behavior. And I, I really do put that down to my spiritual practices, uh, the relationships in my life. Um, but what I will say is, though I didn't rob a liquor store or get caught up in major addiction, uh, 
my spiritual practices as they were reading and study and um, accountability and contemplation those practices in and of themselves did not keep me from hitting the wall of burnout and that was sobering uh, just to, to realize like you can you can read and you can pray and you can really really think and live your life uh, as openly and rigorously as you can before God and yet still hit the wall and still feel like you're uh, a shell of a person that was what happened to me it took me a long time. Uh, those four months were uh, for the worst months. And candidly, coming back to work in a place where um, there had been some damaged trust among leaders because I was acting as if I were alone when I wasn't alone, uh, there were lots of things at play that made life really complicated, uh, both for others but also for me. Um, when, I, when I got back to work in, in December a year and a half ago, but what happened to me during that time away was uh, ultimately, I think, a remarkable gift. Uh, the Lord has uh, met me in ways that have brought back truly uh, the joy of my salvation. And going beyond just the, the, the joy of salvation, um, a kind of sense of relief of learning how to let go and trust in new ways and on new levels. And so... Uh, sitting in my office right now watching the, the sun pop up over the, the tree line early in the morning. And I'm really thankful to, to be where I am. Uh, thankful for the sustaining work of God. But what I think I'm most thankful for is the ability to learn new things about myself and about how God wants me to take care of who I am and who I'm becoming as I get older and step into this next season in life. So for the next few minutes, I want to share uh, the basic structure of my own rule of life, my own way of doing my life with God now post-burnout. Much of what I'm going to say came from a mentor of mine, Gary Moon. Uh, Gary leads uh, lots of things, actually. He runs the Wings Center here in the metro Atlanta area. He was and, and probably still is in some way a professor out at Westmont in California. He teaches a doctor of ministry class at uh, Fuller Theological Seminary in Los Angeles. Uh, but I know Gary as um, a mentor and a friend. He uh, introduced me to Dallas Willard before Dallas passed. And so he's been a kind of constant voice of spiritual formation and care in my own life. So during the time of burnout, I joined a Fuller Frontiers program, so Lily Grant-funded uh, nine-month program for leaders in transition. It was perfect timing for me. And in one of the sessions, Gary uh, referenced a Harvard research-based model of, of soul care. And the model that he referenced, I think, in its genesis uh, at Harvard is not inherently Christian by any stretch. but Gary did the brilliant work of building a bridge into Christian spirituality and commending this model as a way to cultivate a rule of life. Now, for some of you, the notion of a rule of life is, is foreign. Um, rules sound restrictive. They sound hard. So think of a trellis. Uh, a rule of life is simply a way of doing your life, a plan for your life with God, a trellis on which the vine uh, that is you should, should be able to grow and be sustained and 
um, spread out, catch the light, uh, drink in the water, that kind of stuff. And so the rule of life that I'm living by, uh, that I receive from, from my brother and mentor Gary, is what we call the SPIRE model, S-P-I-R-E. And I was doing most of this, but not all of it, prior to burnout. And there, there's something here uh, at the end that will be, I think, all the difference and, and frankly has made all the difference for me. So SPIRE stands for spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and emotional. Gary made this amazing statement about this relatively new Harvard research-based model. He said that the S-P-I-R-E, the spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and emotional, uh, in this model, almost precisely and directly conform to Dallas Willard's five characteristics or components of the human that he put forth in his groundbreaking and seminal book, uh, The Renovation of the Heart, some 20-something years ago. And he's all right. So I'm going to reflect on these five characteristics and then turn you loose into your day. And I, I'll just give you a warning. I have no idea what this podcast is going to look like. I just know the Lord is giving me a bit of an invitation to get back into it. So we're just going to see where it goes. So first, spiritual. Uh, this is where your kind of garden variety practices of reading your Bible and praying and confession and fasting and uh, all, all the, the, the rhythms that you would consider to be classically Christian. Those things are very, very important. Um, we should be reading. We should be praying. We should be confessing our sin. We should be engaging in seasons of fasting and feasting. Uh, your spirituality and what you would consider to be maybe classic spirituality is really important. Uh, there is no kind of soul care uh, no sort of new pathway for spiritual growth that can take the place of you being in your Bible. Uh, I, I'm reading right now in my own devotional life through the book of Romans. And so before I did this podcast this morning, I was in my Bible. You should be in your Bible every day. Um, you, you should allow the Bible to read you, not just you reading it, as they say. So spirituality, the overt spiritual practices of Christianity are really important and uh, must be the building block of your life with God. I will tell you that I think what kept me from falling into sin, into any kind of disqualifying sin, uh, in large part were my spiritual practices, my reading, my praying. They, they kept me tethered to a kind of basic grounding in who God is. But that's not enough. It's critical, vital, non-negotiable, but it's not enough. The P in the SPIRE model is, is physicality, your body. Our bodies really matter. Uh, I think as we live increasingly in a head-oriented world where much of us uh, go to work and our work is thought work, um, our bodies are not discharging uh, energy in the ways that they were designed to do so. And frankly, in the way that people do every day in most of the world, people get up and work with their bodies. And some of you listening to me, you're blessed to work with your bodies. You um, you expend a great deal of energy. You get in the grounding space of your body. And then at the end of the day, you're just dog tired and you sleep the sleep of the righteous. Bless you if that's you. However, if you're like me and you spend your day, you know, drinking coffee or sharing meals with people or looking at and hunched over a computer or reading books, we tend to live in our heads, not our bodies. And your body was given to you by God. And if you don't take care of it, and I don't just mean like um, heavy versus thin or 
uh, I'm not talking about a body type here. There are a lot of ways to be healthy. I'm talking about getting into your physical body and expending energy. So exercise, drinking enough water, not drinking too much fire water, as Gary once said in a lecture. Um, we must take care of our bodies. You've only been given one. And as Christians, we believe in the resurrection of the dead, which means that your body really counts. It means it matters. It means you're gonna you're gonna get a redeemed body back and live a physical resurrected life through all eternity. So your body really matters. We we're not meant to escape our bodies. We're meant to steward our bodies. And I will tell you that for me, um, there's some lessons I've learned about my body in the last uh, couple of years. Number one, I needed to pay attention to it. Uh, there were issues at play. So if you've got nagging and recurring pain or malady in your body, oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes, um, some sort of recurring pain or chronic issue, whether it's in your stomach or your back or your shoulders or your hands, uh, sometimes those pain indicators are a way for your body to tell you something that you may be largely or mostly or somewhat unaware of. Uh, there's, a, there's a book out there that I've not read, to be candid, but I think the title says it all. The body keeps the score. Um, maybe you don't even have to read the book to know what that book's about. <laughs> my body was keeping the score. Uh, I had numbness in my hands, tightness in my chest, um, issues in my back and my neck. Places where I, my body was telling me you're carrying things that are going to get the best of you. I think our bodies are sort of like red lights blinking on the dashboard of our life. And you can just ignore the red lights. I did. Uh, you can put tape over them, metaphorically speaking, so you don't have to see them. But it doesn't change the reality. Your body matters. Uh, so there are some things I'm doing right now. Um, I'm making sure I get enough sleep. Um, I'm exercising almost every single day. Sometimes that just means getting out, walking, uh, lifting weights. I'm drinking a lot of water, which is not hard for me. It's easy. Uh, what has been somewhat hard is I'm drinking uh, a lot less alcohol. And I wouldn't say that I was uh, an alcoholic. I actually don't think that, that I was even close to that. But what I was doing was I was drinking alcohol on a daily basis in order to cope with uh, stress and now what I would see is anxiety. Alcohol was a kind of crutch. It was a a liturgical rhythm for me. And I just want to say I'm not anti-alcohol. I I love a good glass of bourbon um, a whole lot. Beer and wine actually don't matter a whole lot to me. But that brown water uh, that's uh, distilled in those hills and hollers of Kentucky, I I really like it. So I don't really drink it all the time now because I recognize that that could have a hook on me. Uh, and, and it did have a hook in me. So one of the things that I would say to you is you need to think about your body, not just your spiritual practices, but the P, your physical practices. Are you eating right, sleeping? Are you moving? And again, this is not about heavy versus thin. This is about stewardship, taking care of who you are. Um, are you paying attention to the indicators in your physical body? Next, I. Uh, the intellectual is really important. We are not only thinking things, but we are people who are meant to think deep and true thoughts. And that means we need to cultivate intellectual curiosity. For many of us, we stopped reading books when we graduated from college. <laughs> and I just want to say, we need to be listening and we need to be reading. We need to be learning. You need to be curious. 
Um, one of the things that I've learned about my own life is that the more curious I am, the more awake I am. The less curious I am, the more sleepy I become with my life. And I don't mean like tired at three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, I mean sleepy as in not paying attention. So I am ingesting a steady diet of you know, fiction, nonfiction. I'm reading Barbara Kingsolver's Demon Copperhead. Good Lord, that is a heavy book, but it is a beautiful book. It's a, a heartbreaking book, but it, it makes me curios curious. It, it stirs curiosity in me. Uh, it wakes up my intellect in ways that are really important. I listen to uh, the the Rest is History podcast. It's my current favorite. My daughter Maddie put me onto it. Um, my kids actually bought me a subscription to it. So I'm a part of the Rest is History club now, which is super nerdy. Um, but I love listening uh, to Dominic Sandberg and um, and Tom Holland, not Batman, but the English British historian Tom Holland, talk about everything from Julius Caesar to Jesus to uh, Hitler. Uh, these things just stir my intellectual curiosity. You've got to find things in your life that keep you awake. Uh, you should be reading some fiction and nonfiction or listening to audible books, finding podcasts that get you thinking about new things and then talk about those things with people in your life. All of us need intellectual curiosity or we become bored and boredom is uh, a poison. It, it kills us. I think one of the reasons why many of us shipwreck our lives in midlife is that we become bored. And, and truly idleness in that sense, intellectual idleness is the devil's playground. We, we end up um, injuring ourselves, creating complexities when we're not intellectually curious. And so the I in the SPIRE model is very important. And then the R, relationships. We are not meant to be alone. One of the lies that I think I was believing uh, as I was leading into burnout and then in the midst of burnout was that I was alone, which is ridiculous. I have a wife that loves me and kids who, with whom I share a great deal of joy and reciprocity with. I've got friends, I've got coworkers, I've got uh, all these people around me. And yet there was a moment where I felt like the line from that book, uh, water, water everywhere and not a drop to, dr to drink. I, I felt bereft of relationship. We were made for relationship. Uh, one of the key takeaways from my season of burnout is to be more bold and proactive around pursuing male relationships. Um, you need relationship. Uh, we were not meant to work out our faith on our own. We were not meant to be alone. And that doesn't mean we all have to seek uh, a marriage partner. It, it means we need friends. Um, if God blesses you with a marriage partner, thanks be to God, pursue that. It'll be the most wonderful maybe and one of the most difficult things you'll ever do. <laughs> Karen and I are 26 years into our marriage and we're probably more of a mystery to one another than we ever were. And yet I'm thankful for her. I know also that I can't put everything on her. I've got to have friends. So I've got people in my life that I'm reaching out to, people that I'm reading books with, fiction and nonfiction, to get together and talk, connect, build relationship. We need relationship. One of the, I think, great tragedies of the last couple of years is that many of us have grown cut off, more cut off from others than we have been at any other time. Uh, maybe it's time for you to pursue some relationships to, to get back on the, on the horse, as they say. The last E is your emotional health. And I will tell you, um, part the R, relationships, 
for sure emotional awareness. These were the two things that were lacking or underfunded in my previous rule of life. One of the things that I've been learning over the last couple of years is to identify how I'm feeling. I've not always been good at this. Um, I think I learned as a coping mechanism when I was really young to just be excited and to look forward. Um, some of that's just my personality. I'm a social seven on the Enneagram with a strong eight wing. Um, but some of it was, you know, dealing with some instability as a small, small child um, with parents that were working things out, doing the best they could. They both love the Lord now, and I'm so thankful for my mom and dad. But I think we all have to be honest enough with our story of origin to realize that we have all developed some coping mechanisms that are not always the most healthy. For me, having big emotion has never been hard. Being aware of my emotions has been more difficult work. Um, not being reactive out of emotion, but actually stopping, taking the space and saying, what am I feeling right now? Historically for me, it's been much easier for me to access certain emotions. Uh, I think social psychologists would call them secondary emotions. So anger, for instance, is a secondary emotion. I think Parker Palmer, the author, uh, once said that anger is a guardian for sadness. I would add to that uh, disappointment. So many of us are able to access certain emotions, but our emotional bandwidth is not uh, broad enough. Um, I've done story work with Kathy Lorzell, uh, who wrote alongside Dan Allender the book Redeeming Heartache, to help me kind of understand some of where my uh, emotional struggles might have manifested early in my life or early in my ministry life. Um, and that's really helped me become more emotionally attuned. Now, I know for some of you, just the thought of tending to your emotions feels like navel-gazing or worse. Maybe it feels like a, a kind of counterproductive. Well, if I'm doing that work, I'm not really trusting in Jesus. I just want to say, uh, in my own experience, and I believe this is just flat-out true, God invites us to tend to our emotional life so that our whole person can come to Jesus, can come into fellowship and friendship with Jesus. As Pete Scazzaro once wisely said, uh, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa is in your bones. Um, we need to understand what we're feeling so that we don't live largely unaware of the impact that we have and that our feelings have on ourselves and on people around us. As I look back at my life before burnout, I recognize that um, there were things at play in me that I was largely unaware of, sometimes intentionally unaware of. Most of the time it was more just I was asleep to those parts of me that were having a negative impact on my marriage, on my fathering journey, on my ministry. Um, now, I don't think I was a total train wreck, but I think there was enough there. And you add to it the perfect storm of what we've all been through over the last few years. And you can take what would have been a kind of bumpy road and it turns into a really, really tough, dangerous road. So the Spire model, uh, that's been something that has been more and more uh, of a guardrail, a, a trellis. So it keeps me safe like a guardrail. It helps me grow like a trellis. And I would commend it to you. 
Uh, in the next little bit of time, we're going to come back on the podcast with some new ideas. Before I get into the Bible, I'm just going to share some things probably that have accumulated over the last couple of years that feel meaningful to me. I'm going to reference some books that I think maybe you should read if you're in a specific season in life. Um, but for now, I just want to say I'm just super thankful uh, to be able to connect to you and to be back on this podcast sharing space uh, together. It's a gift. God bless you. I'll see you soon. Bye.